Hello, welcome to Tea Hanks for the Memories, a podcast about Tom Hanks. I'm your host, Darren, and uh, today we're going to be covering the seventh film in Tom's career, uh, Nothing in Common, where he shares shares billing with Jackie Gleason uh, in his final role. Once we talk more about the plot, we'll kind of talk about, uh, you know, like how this is, is Jackie Gleason's final role and kind of what happened to Jackie Gleason in real life, uh, because there is some kind of illness of a character in this film as well. Um... Uh, the film came out um, in 1986 on the 30th of July and it had a smallish budget, 12 million, but it only made 32, so didn't, I don't know, didn't really set the box office on fire. Uh, I guess all those people weren't enthused to see uh, a comedy uh, where the poster is just Tom Hanks and Jack Gleason staring at each other. It's not a good poster, to be honest with you. If you take a look at the Nothing in Common poster, it's like, what? what is this all about? I guess they've got nothing in common. Uh, Tom, of course, getting the top bell in, and it's directed by Gary Marshall, so you should expect yourself some Hector Elizondo in the film, uh, because, of course, he's in every Gary Marshall film. Um, and also, it's worth mentioning that this is one of those Tom Hanks films uh, that has a theme tune done by the Thompson Twins, which uh, we can talk about in a little bit after I introduce my guest, which is Andy Nelson. Hello, Andy. Why, hello there. Um, yeah, so just the fact that it has like a, a theme tune, I guess, there's nothing more 80s. Um, than a, a, a film opening with a theme tune that has the title. That's the thing as well. It's got to be a title theme tune, um, you know, uh, which is why once we got to the 90s, it was like, you know, everything I do, that's not the title of the film, is it? That's that's just a song that Brian Adams wrote and used in that film. Well, and um, th- there is this song that opens the film is actually not the Thompson Twins song. It is Christopher Cross's uh, song, uh, Loving Strangers, parentheses, David's theme which is the Nothing in Common song. But it, it, I think it's like one of those sorts of James Bond sorts of things where there were a few songs written, and the Thompson Twins song certainly does play in the movie, but it's not the one that yeah. um, opens it up. Oh, no, I just mean it having having oh, a, th- okay, a, gotcha. a theme, having a, having a song that basically is the theme yeah, right. um, is, is kind of like a very kind of 80s thing. Also on this soundtrack, we've got yourself some Carly Simon, you've got yourself some Nick Haywood, you got yourself some Richard Marks. Oh, yeah. Outspoken political activist Richard Marks these days. Um, you know, some Kinks, some Aretha Franklin. Um, and then you also have a theme um, which comes up several times during this, done by Patrick Leonard, who is best known as a co-writer for Madonna in the 80s. Uh, he co-wrote quite a few songs with her. Yeah, so like you say as well, the Christopher Cross... I don't know why Christopher Cross is obsessed with the uh, parentheses. Um, he did a similar thing for Arthur as well, didn't he? Um, where he, he kind of does a, a title song and then puts in parentheses that it's the theme from this particular Arthur, thing. Yeah, so, the Arthur's theme, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, Christopher Cross. I can understand why in the MTV age you failed, because people don't want to be reading parentheses. Um, <laughs> you know, unless it's the Beastie Boys, in which case we're fine with it just the kind of trait of having a song that is that is that is also the name is is the name of the film it's just kind of a it's just kind of like an a new is it's just like a really kind of 80s thing to do um probably my favorite one uh of that genre is uh, secret of my success uh which does open the film secret of my success oh yeah um and it contains the the phrase that i'm living 25 hours a day which is not possible uh, writer of theme from Secret of My Success, so you know we'll have to have words about that. Is I mean I don't know how to kind of I guess this is a, is a dramedy. That's um, I mean and that that was know. very much part of the advertising at the time is because it, it was all it's yeah. a dramedy or it's a drama and a comedy just like life. <laughs> yes, yeah. So um, this is the point I feel where Tom Hanks is kind of starting to make moves towards 
being a multiple Oscar winner. Um, you know, he's kind of he's kind of thinking about more serious roles. Um, and the way you do that is by playing somebody who is happy-go-lucky and then gradually gets less happy-go-lucky as the film goes on, uh, because that is <laughs> that is drama. Um, but yes, yeah, so he plays David, um, who is a uh, he's a Don Draper, basically, I think um, right. he's, you know, he's a he's a Don Draper. He's on holiday. He's with this lady. He gets interrupted by his father calling his answer phone. <laughs> kind of saying that his his mother's just walked out on them and you know like he's he's you know he's i don't know he's kind of angry about it and it was sudden and she just kind of took everything and just left and you know it feels very much like a kind of 80s kind of sitcom setup trope uh of course you know we'll talk about how that turned out later but yeah so it's just this kind of setup of you know somebody who is in fact the the thing that i love about this film because i do I, i do kind of like this um certainly i would say more than um uh, you know some of the other films in the 80s that tom hanks did um i do kind of like the the kind of the introduction of his character gradually so we're, we're actually introduced while he's on a flight flying to chicago but you think he's in bed with a woman but it turns out he's actually in bed with the stewardess <laughs> and and you know there's a bit of like turbulence and all the lights come on and all of a sudden she has to kind of like um you know get dressed and, and kind of go and do like the thing and she gives him his number at the end um, you know, and when he arrives home, you know, he's kind of going around saying everybody's names, interacting with everybody. Um, you know, he goes to this kind of cubicle farm, kind of talking to each of the people, kind of moving their walls and, and peeking over and kind of chatting with them. Um, we've got, uh, I think, is it Dan Castellaneta and uh, Michael G. Haggerty are like two of the team that are kind of in the bullpen. Right. Yeah. Uh, just kind of laughing and joking with him and. And then he eventually kind of gets to his office while he's been away on vacation. He's been promoted. And so they've somebody's put like a little sign on the door that's kind of like written in crayon. It's like a, a gag. Um, and when he gets into his office, like his whole team has followed him, him in. And when they reveal like his window, they do like a little kind of choir as they kind of as they kind of pull. It's such a it's like the heavenly choir. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's such a and, and there's kind of all of this. And, and it's it's kind of like it instantly tells you that this is like. You know, not only a person who's important because he has a corner office, which looks down over that. Um, I don't know what the name of that sculpture is, but that very kind of red, that red sculpture that's kind of like a like a I don't know, like spidery. Uh, I think is the best way to describe it. It's given as a marker here because later on, when um, yeah, when his dad shows up, that's, it's called flamingo. You know. That that statue. Oh, yeah. there we go. Well, I think I know that from the film Office Christmas Party, uh, <laughs> where also. Um, the characters of Office Christmas Party work in that building that has that sculpture outside. So obviously it's, you know, if you're in Chicago, it's a thing that, you know, you obviously want to be, um, you know, kind of, it it kind of marks out where you are exactly. Um, So, um, but yeah, so he's kind of like getting home and, you know, he's, he's obviously, he's been promoted recently. He's having fun. Everybody in the office seems to love him, um, you know, and he gets interrupted whilst having sex with a different woman within the space of the first five minutes of this film uh, by his dad. Um, you know, he's obviously split up with his mom. She's walked out. She's taken everything. It's actually the same woman. It's actually the steward, the flight attendant again. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, obviously, this time they're in a bed. Not in a right. Now now she's um, come over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, he, well, he hooks up with her twice in five minutes. I mean, this, this is, you know, an impressive <laughs> start here for David. Um, but then, you know, like... It's funny because he goes to see his ex-girlfriend, Donna, um, who will feature quite prominently in the film, uh, played by Bess Armstrong, who's not an actress that I think I've seen much of. 
Um, but like kind of throughout this film, they, he kind of bounces back to her in different scenes. Like as he's kind of coping with whatever's going on, he'll kind of keep going to her. And she is like a, is she meant to be a professor at a, at a kind of uh, college where she does I theater? I think she's, she teaches, yeah. right, she teaches theater. Yeah. So, and of course, because it's the 80s, she's teaching like experimental theater where people are pretending to be amoebas um, and making weird noises and... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously, so there's a, I don't know, I, I, I like to think it's been set up because obviously she's, you know, she's like a creative person. She's, you know, um, she's teaching theatre and everything. And he's a creative person, but he's just, you know, selling stuff. Um, so it's kind of almost like uh, that, that kind of little dichotomy between, you know, the kind of two creative types. One's creative selling adverts and the other one's, you know, just, I don't know, having kids wander around an open space making weird noises um yeah right but yeah right. so uh, we and we kind of almost straight away you know kind of after the whole you know we've got the premise which is his dad is you know his wife's gone his dad's kind of bothering him um and you know we also have the setup which will we, which will provide the main kind of kind of storyline throughout the thing which is um he has to pitch to this airline um which are called what are they called now i've Colonial yes, colonial letter, yeah. <clears throat> which feels like a kind of again it there's a whole madman story where they have to pitch to, <laughs> to like a local airline um so it feels it yeah. feels like something that maybe is kind of uh i'd like to think that Mad Men took some of their inspiration from this film um but yeah so he it, you know he's i i don't think it's accurate to say he's the don draper actually i think he's the pete campbell where he, but he doesn't he pitches the meeting but he doesn't come up with the uh the pitch um his team um, come up with pitch while he plays with drumsticks uh you know this is it because he's yeah, he's right. so creative he's got this quirk which is he constantly drums uh which is actually funny when they go to like record the eventual ad that they hit on because he's just sitting there playing drums on his legs and they kind of look at him and he has to kind of <laughs> stop um so that becomes like an affectation that he does kind of throughout the whole thing um you know he goes to see his dad um kind of pretty soon and when he gets to the apartment and meets his you know sees his dad jackie gleason um he his dad is kind of like you know she took the sofa she took the comfortable chair she took the dining table like it is a very kind of like uh, i don't know like 80s sitcom dad who can't do anything for himself type trope um and he's kind of very crotchety and permanently smoking a cigar throughout the entire film like almost there's no i don't think there's any scenes where he's he's not got a cigar in his mouth it's it's you know i think i think that's as much jackie gleason as the character like i just feel like that it just you know came with him yeah Right. Um, now, what I'll say about Jackie Gleason is this: um, I've never really seen anything he's ever done. He oh, wow. like everything that he did on TV never made it over here. Um, you know, we had our own TV shows in the fifties and sixties that we watched, and so the yeah. stuff that he did was never really repeated over here. Um, and I've seen bits of the Honeymooners, but only kind of in mm -hmm. reference to other TV shows and stuff. And I don't think there's really any of his... I mean, I'm not a fan of smoke, the Smokey and the Bandit style of humour. Um, and I haven't seen uh, The Hustler. So I really haven't seen any of his films. This is literally the first film I'm seeing, which is the last film he was ever in. So Wow. Yeah, he's... I mean, he's definitely... I mean, I... I... I grew up watching like Nick at Night and kind of all those Nickelodeon uh, reruns and everything. And the Honeymooners was on there, but I was always turning it off by the time that 
played so i like you i only ever really saw clips of the honeymooners i never really watched full episodes of it obviously the flintstones was a big part of my life as a kid and i mean that was really kind of inspired by the honeymooners so i i knew the style of the honeymooners and to a certain extent when you watch the flintstones it's almost like you've been watching the honeymooners um but yeah as far as his films go i mean the hustler certainly is one that that i've seen and um it's funny because I only just recently finally watched Smokey and the Bandit. It was somehow one that I always missed. And um, whereas I was watching all the other things that Burt Reynolds was doing, like um, you know, just a lot of his other movies from the era. And this one I skipped and I finally watched it. And I just, you know, it was fine. It, I got what it was doing. It, you know, it, it was fine. I just didn't really care for it that yeah. much. So um, this also, I think for me is... Um, while I, it sounds like I've seen more of him than you, still, this is the one that largely still sticks with me as, as like the the character that I picture with him. But I think also a lot of it is it's it feels like he's playing a lot of himself in the film. Yeah, I mean, obviously he, uh, you know, this is his final role. He died, I think, two years after this. I think somewhere around that time. Yeah, just just a year later, oh, following yeah. the following yeah. June, nineteen eighty-seven, yeah. um, and he, you know, he had a number of different, he, like he had um, colon cancer, you know, while he was on the set of Nothing in Common, um, and I think he kind of knew yeah, that yeah. you know he wasn't going to be around much longer. Um, he had colon cancer, liver cancer, thrombosed hemorrhoids, diabetes, and phlebitis. I mean, yeah, so definitely not no. doing well. Um, and I, I, you know. I'll say I'll say this about the performance. First of all, I hate characters who are constantly got cigar in their mouth. It's just such an I just it just an, it just annoys me because I think that is a thing with you because you yeah. brought that up when we were talking about volunteers a few shows ago about how much you hated the fact that Tom Hanks was yeah. always smoking cigarettes I, in that movie. I, I, what I don't I mean I don't mind it if it's a thing that characters do, but if it's just the only thing they do, it's like. Like, it feels like the only thing he's doing in this entire film is just constantly smoking a cigar. And it's like, you know, he's also being like irascible and kind of bitter and angry and stuff. Uh, but there's so much on the cigar. It's like and, and I think obviously these days there are so many places where you can't smoke. Half of these scenes, he wouldn't be able to do this these days. So, um, But yeah, sure, I, yeah. I, you know. Uh, well, the fact that I think on the on the flight, the, the stewardess says, um, you know, uh, extinguish extinguish your cigarettes. <laughs> like, it's set in a time where you can still smoke on planes, which is an insane... There was, a, yep, there was a day. An, ins- <laughs> an insane thing to even think about. I could not imagine how... That would be like a living hell for me, would be on an airplane flight where people are smoking. <laughs> It'd just be insane. Um, but enough of my anti-smoking propaganda. Um, yeah, so I think he's. I think the thing is, obviously, you know, knowing that he's in so much pain from all the different kind of you know stuff that is basically killing him, uh, it is quite amazing that he does give quite a good performance. And you know, I think the thing is, he doesn't feel like he is Tom Hanks's dad, and I think maybe that's the that's the problem for me. I feel like there's a you know we've had a you know there's there's a few films where we've had people playing Tom Hanks's dad, and I think they were better suited to the role. And like you say, it feels like Jackie Gleason is just playing Jackie Gleason and not really kind of losing himself there is a nice little bit that he does throughout the film where he had these these pens made where they say stolen from the desk of max basner which i thought is like a that's that's like a funny thing to put in a pen and he kind of keeps giving these pens out um and you know that's a kind of a nice little bit of business that he does um but it it just i don't know it just doesn't like when he when the fact that he's kind of like 
done as this role where he basically can't do anything for himself like that's what it seems like and you know there is a there is a kind of montage in the middle of the film where he just keeps caught you know both his parents keep calling um david and he keeps like bouncing between the two of them and and, and they you know it seems like this is a just a terrible kind of family dynamic just overall um <laughs> but you know um yeah i mean it's it, you know it's it is a good it is a kind of good performance but at the same it just feels like it's in the wrong film it feels like there's a there should have been a film that was just about jackie gleason and it should have concentrated on you know that's what it feels like to me whereas you know the stuff we, i mean i you know all the stuff that tom hanks does is the stuff that i love in films from the 80s which is yuppies just being yuppies and like just yeah. the fact that he's like he you know he's on the set filming like a commercial um and then he's got this pitch that he's got to do for colonial airlines and there's a couple of montages where like him and his crazy crew which have all got, they've all got like kind of weird little quirks that they keep doing in each scene um there's a whole thing where they keep going past his like secretary and moving her desk or putting stuff on her desk or like just kind of messing with his secretary for no reason and i don't know i kind of like all that stuff but it feels like it's in a completely different film to you know this guy who to start off with you know it's kind of obvious that he's struggling um, you know, uh, in his job, like he he's meant to be a salesman. He's been a salesman for thirty five years, and you know he's kind of struggling to kind of get any sales. Basically, he's not making any sales. So he's, you know, and there's a there's a weird thing where he's at like a um, and also the thing the place he works for is called Super Togs, which is just a, a weird name for a thing. But um, you know, he 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 goes to this kind of like um, this weird fashion show for like kids. Uh, where obviously they're showing well because yeah because he sells uh, he he works in the the fashion industry for children's clothes right and so his so he goes to the new i don't know what but it's it's kind of like the the runway for all the new models for them to go shopping from and buying and everything so yeah that's that's where but while he's there like his boss's boss kind of comes up to him and he's like you know what's what's up with these numbers and he's like, oh, you know, that guy's, you know, his wife was sick. You know, that's why he hasn't he bought any stuff. And then the guy's just like, okay, you're fired. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. I, it's like so kind of sudden. It feels like the stuff, the stuff with the marriage, again, like uh, maybe this is because I know people who in recent years have broken up. And those breakups aren't, they're never sudden. If you've been married to someone for 35 years, the breakup isn't sudden. It's going on for a decade. And, you know, her walking out is the is the last straw. It's not it's not the first it's not the first part of the the problems. Um, And I think that's a thing that's kind of in the 80s, particularly in certain types of sitcoms. I mean, there was two sitcoms with the exact same name that kind of worked on this premise called Dear John, which is just like the wife just walks out and there's no kind of warning. And, you know, relationships aren't like that. If someone's walking out on you, there's going to be warning beforehand. Um. Well, but the, there, there is and there isn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I think the thing with relationships is that obviously when there's a divorce, I mean, I think the average is that the average person knew about or had started having thoughts about it three years before they actually said, I want a divorce or walked out or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, and obviously, I mean, when we do see Lorraine, who I think is marvelously played by Eva Marie Saint and max interacting there clearly has always been pain in their relationship and it only got harder when david left and started working and i i think it comes across actually really quite well in the film like what all this pain was and she just didn't really know any better about how to do any how to handle any of this and so i i think it actually comes across pretty well the fact that here they are this this married couple who really never knew each other very well 
he never really helped her figure out how to get you know have sex and and kind of be in bed together and really have fun she didn't know how to ask because of her catholic upbringing and so i think that the relationship is really kind of i I don't know i find it to be uh, rather well constructed over the course of the film as we start learning about this relationship between max and lorraine and finally why it hit this point where she's just like i have to leave um and, and figure out you know kind of who i am and everything so i actually really uh find that uh to be really effective, especially because the type of person who Max is, who just isn't paying attention to people. Like he just doesn't seem to have much of an interest in anyone other than what he, what's what he's up to. Yeah. I would say actually it starts out kind of like a hacky premise of the wife suddenly worked out and it does, as the film goes on, get more established that obviously it was, you know, a lot, a kind of underlying problem and, and kind of difficulties that have been going on for years. But I, I, I think kind of just starting it with like your mother left me and I don't know why. It, 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 like it feels like such a kind of a weak start. But I will agree, it does improve considerably as the film goes on and you get a better idea of what their relationship was. Um, and in particular, when um, uh, you know T- Tom Hanks is like, you know, it, it didn't feel like he was living in a home. It felt like he was living in a boarding house because his dad kept cheating on his his mom and just kind of coming back and. You know, so some of that is 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 kind of well handled. Um, it's just weird. It kind of is counterbalanced yeah, and, by the whole kind of like wacky crew in his office doing all the kind of well. And that's and that was, I think, uh, an issue at the time when it came out. Is people had an, a kind of a complaint about the odd balance. And it's funny because it's in all of the tags for the film. As I said, you know, it's a comedy and a drama, just like life. But people seemed to really have this issue with the fact that it was. On the one hand, this kind of goofy office comedy with Tom Hanks as the creative head of this ad agency, and then this other much more dramatic story dealing with his, you know, this gray divorce going on between his his old parents. And, and I think people had a hard time kind of balancing that. And I think, you know, I mean, I, I again, I, as the big Tom Hanks fan here, I really love this film. I think that the emotions here, I think that the relationships, the way that they paint them, it's really very strong between the these three uh, family members. Um, but I think that that is uh, a valid complaint about the film, is that tonally, Gary Marshall, who goes on to do much more, uh, you know, kind of uh, Hollywood types of stories, I think, you know, I think the tone, there was a struggle and trying to trying to balance kind of the, between these two worlds i think they they weren't quite there yeah and and you know uh like literally the next film he did was like overboard and then he did beaches and that feels like going from like a straight comedy to like a heavy drama wow Uh, yeah so it's i mean his career is and i mean you know the less said about exits eden the better um but then you know princess diaries and princess diaries too um and then at a certain point Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, Mother's Day. <laughs> Feels like he was only going for big holiday films towards the end there. I know. I was waiting for him to uh, kind of keep the keep the holiday franchise, the the ho- holiday cinematic universe. Yeah, keep it keep it going. Constructed, but he didn't didn't quite uh, get to finish no. it. Uh, but like I said, I feel like the you know you know the kind of the interactions between uh, you know Eve Marie Saint and Jackie Gleason and Tom Hanks, as you said, you know, as the film goes on, it does kind of deepen and it gets it kind of manages to get away from the kind of the hacky setup, um, you know, and. and we, we we also then as a counterbalance to that get a lot of we get a lot of montages in this film i mean i know it's the 80s but 
I mean, it's not quite approaching, you know, Rocky, Rocky Four, where like literally a third of the film is montages. But there are quite a few montages, um, you know, um, because, you know, David has got a charm. Um, Barry Corbin's character, Andrew Woolridge, um, and his uh, I can't remember what she says her title is, but she's just like head of advert, like in charge of the advertising for for Colonial Airlines, um, played yeah. by Celia Ward. Cheryl Ann yeah. Wayne, um, yeah. who obviously uh, she doesn't use her her kind of you know the name Woolridge because she is the daughter of of Andrew Woolridge uh, because she doesn't want any appearances of uh, of, of nepotism, uh, which is I don't know it's <laughs> I don't know it's, it's it strikes me as a kind of weird thing because hiding it feels a bit more like kind of deliberate like deliberately not using your you know your birth name to, in the workplace. Um, but you know, I, I I would say this. Uh, Sailor Ward is I don't know insanely beautiful in this film. She's been in a few things I've oh, seen yeah. over the years. Um, you know, most likely I think the last time last time I saw her in anything was like CSI New York or something where she was on that for a couple of seasons. Um, but she, in this film, she is. I mean, it's it's insane how beautiful she is. In fact, it's kind of almost not realistic that Tom Hanks would would be able to would be in her league. Like she's so beautiful. It's like I, him and Donna, I can see being together. Him and Cheryl Ann, I I like. I don't think that that really would would work. I but I think there's such a a draw that he carries in the film. You know, he's got. I mean, obviously he's got the kind of Tom Hanks goofiness. But I think that there's like that that confident draw that he has in kind of you know being able to sell himself the agency all of that yeah. and i think that i think that she kind of likes that because as she says you know she sees a lot of herself in him obviously she's you know she's the daughter but he doesn't know that and he kind of he tries to kind of like hit on her and um you know she kind of she <laughs> kind of turns him down a bit and then he goes to this meal with uh with barry corbin uh, who again is a great actor I, I everything i see barry corbin and i always end up i mean i'm not a fan of these kind of like down home southern types but uh I, you know barry corbin always kind of manages to kind of sell it um and you know then she turns up to the meal and he's kind of thrown off a little bit and uh you know he kind of recovers a little bit you know there's a uh, he kind of makes a couple of gags and you know that that's the thing that i think people say he's got going for him is his kind of his ability to kind of joke around that's something that his boss uh played by uh hector I never know how to say his surname. I'm going to say Elizondo. Yeah. Um, yep. He uh, he kind of he's the one who kind of you know when they've got like the pitch meeting he kind of builds him up by saying you know just kind of emphasize emphasize you know the jokes because obviously that's one of the things he does well. Um, and there's also a weird kind of subplot with Hector getting a wig and then going swimming and the wig coming off and it's just it's just, I I don't know I like I just I have to think that that was Gary Marshall like you know giving his buddy more something to do I mean, right it just felt like a character moment that they really must have come up with about like this whole gag with a hair Yeah cuz they cuz they don't just do it once but they do it a second time and it's like I this it's yeah. so goofy when you compared to like you know uh, Max Basner being Water, you know, his being kind of his wife leaving him and then him losing his job and then him having to have surgery, which obviously we'll get into later. But all of that is so kind of when when you've got this this kind of gag with like a wig. And there's also a thing where like later on, there's like Tai Chi and yoga kind of taking place next to this pool. Um, and there's I don't know, there's even some kind of sexual harassment towards uh, even Marie Saint um, by a couple of people throughout the film, which is just all of this is kind of it's kind of comedic yeah. and it doesn't really fit with the with the, the stuff with Jackie Gleason um which is just kind of odd 
Um, but that was, you know, that's just how I'm seeing it. I mean, you know, other people might think yeah, that hey, all, all the stuff... Fit- it's a comedy and a drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think they lent on that a little bit too heavily in some scenes. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there's a whole thing where he, you know, he kind of tries to woo um, Andrew Woolridge to get sure. the account and he goes golfing. Um, and then he goes duck hunting and then there's some stuff about some horses uh when the, so we have like a montage about the horses and then he ends up uh going off to some kind of uh field to have sex with uh Cheryl Ann um and then and then like this whole we get all this kind of stuff about the the ad cuz obviously they get the account and then we we get all the pitches for the different types of ads they want to do and you've got his kind of you know his crazy crew in the office just pitching all these different types of ads and singing jingles and then unfortunately at one point trying to rap a jingle (laughs) and it's yeah and then they come up with this idea which again it feels like something you know that madman would do which is like instead of them just showing the kind of pitch they're going to pitch it live um they're going to right you're going to get to perform it yeah (laughs) which which feels like it's it's like again it's kind of trying to point out that you know david is a creative person but unfortunately yeah. he's he's you know using it for the wrong thing um and i did i was i was I, to me the i thought that the whole kind of pitching it live could like be extremely cringy like it could be the worst thing in the film but i thought they actually pulled it off i thought it was <laughs> and I, I don't know if most of no, that is yeah, down to tom yeah. hanks you know being able to kind of they pitch this idea of like a grandma going to see her kid and she gets on the plane and all this kind of stuff and and like you say in the in the meetings um when they try and when the when the the airline try and pitch him like bad ideas he that you know they're like he's like no we wouldn't do that yeah um and there's a there's a whole thing later on when they when they're talking about you know you didn't say anything about safety and he's like yeah i didn't because if you if you talk about safety people think when's that safety record gonna end yeah you know like and and he's like what if i insisted i use it in the advert and he goes well i wouldn't you know i'd talk you out of it and then he's like well what if what if you couldn't he's like well then i'd walk away yeah and that kind of you know like you say the kind of i think maybe that is what is attracting uh cheryl ann to him is this kind of the fact that he is so sure in his job right um, he also go- goes off to tell donna that he's got he's got this airline gig and he drives his his uh his like jeep into like the middle of the quad and kind of <laughs> almost runs over some of her students and again it's so goofy and it just and like literally i think two scenes later his dad's fired i'm like this is such a this is such a whiplash from scene to scene um it's just so kind of crazy and there's also this thing where it seems like he doesn't want to leave Donna alone, like he's kind of still stuck on her, which again runs through the film, which seems like a more serious, again, it seems like a more serious storyline, um, but it's played, like he basically kind of, uh, I, I don't know if he, he doesn't break into a house, but I think he's still got the keys or whatever. Well, he's um, playing his drumsticks on her door in the middle of the night when he's oh, drunk. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So she has to get up and out of bed. And, <laughs> and, because she is the yeah. emotional support in his life. She's the only thing that's stable, especially now that his parents are constantly calling him and having them fix things and move things yeah. and pick things up for them and blah, blah, blah. And he's going crazy. And yeah, so Donna is the emotional support. And and of course, by this point, she has this boyfriend who uh, is kind of, I guess, getting used to it. But... Also doesn't seem super <laughs> yeah. thrilled by the whole thing, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a very interesting relationship that they have there. But you know, I think it speaks to kind of that type of relationship that a lot of people have in their lives with somebody who's of the opposite sex, who's like a stable person that they can reach out to 
And it might be, you know, in the Harry and Sally context, the one that they really connect with, even if they've never really consummated the relationship, you know? And he, I mean, he basically ends up kind of like forcing the boyfriend <laughs> for bed, even though the boyfriend starts to like psychoanalyze him. Um, and then, and then she's like, what are you doing? And he's just like, I don't know. Like, um, so they kind of get into a bit of an argument and he kind of leaves. Um, yeah. And then there is this kind of this montage of like the constant, like back and forth, uh, which came just before this, which is that, you know, like she, the mom, they keep calling his office, you know, the, obviously there's no cell phone. So otherwise this would be somebody constantly answering a cell phone, but there's this kind of back and forth of his, his mom calls and then his dad calls and his mom calls and they, you know, he's constantly doing stuff for them. And, you know, this kind of, this kind of peaks with him taking his dad to see the doctor uh, in a building that is near one of the bridges in Chicago, because obviously they're they're shooting in Chicago, so they've got to show the bridges, yep. um, which weren't blown up by the Joker uh, <laughs> in Dark Knight, um, and so they've so they've got the bridges, and uh, you know that that actually comes in. That's important for the scene. I'm not just bringing it randomly. Uh, so he takes his his dad to the the door of, the, of this doctor's office, and you know his dad goes into the. Um, uh, what are those doors called that go around and around? It's like the like rotating the doors revolving... or the revolving doors, yeah. Uh, yeah, revolving doors. So he goes into the revolving doors and, and Tom Hanks has got to go back to his Jeep because he's going to be, he's, he's getting a ticket. He says to the cop, actually, you know, the bridge was up, I couldn't go anywhere, yeah, right. uh, which is a, you know, a nice bit of local detail. And of course, you know, his dad waits for him to leave um, and then he kind of doesn't go to see the doctor, uh, you know, which is obviously an indication that something is definitely wrong. And... You, you know, uh, as a viewer, you you know that if people are refusing to go to the doctor, it's got to be something serious. Yeah. Uh, obviously, as we said in real life with Jackie Gleason, it was a ton of things. Um, so, you know, uh, we then kind of get a, a, you know, there's a, there's kind of like, I don't know, there's a confrontation where, you know, his dad kind of, you know, he, he goes to a bar with his mom, I think, first. And, she, and she's there's like a room where they're shooting like hoops, isn't there? And yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a, and then he and then he goes to see his dad and then they kind of talk about his cheating. And, you know, he kind of says that his mother was frigid. And uh, again, this is stuff that kind of feels very 80s. Uh, I don't think you'd ever get a film today where someone would complain about someone being frigid. Um, you know, and and they, I mean, again, like this is uh, this is the film that I, I mean, I enjoy all the stuff with the ad men and all that. That's fun. Uh, but this is the stuff that really the film should have been 90% about is this relationship, um, you know, and, and so obviously, you know, they get into a fight um, and this is this is where, you know, um, we, we kind of get a montage of people being sad for a little bit. Um, you know, no one's happy. His mom's not happy. David's less happy. His dad's not happy. Um, and he, eventually he goes to see his dad and takes him to uh to see uh, i don't know is it just a, is the bar just dixieland or is it just this one act that are just oh, it's just a, it's, it's like it's just a jazz bar that they go to yeah playing a song of course that is not in copyright because it's cheaper that way um <laughs> and this is where he sees his dad's foot uh which uh, when it came when when that ha when that shot suddenly happened i was like ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah it, you know instant instantly you were like some like his foot is basically black and you know, he, he kind of both of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, mean, I think we only see one, don't we? But yeah, it's it's going to be uh, yeah, this, I mean, whatever. The, I mean, yeah. So that that immediately then, you know, um, David is like, you know, we go into a hospital, um, you know, we get some business at the hospital where, you know, Jackie, Jackie Gleason is like yelling about not wanting to be in the hospital and stuff. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of around this time that, you know, 
he, he goes to see his mom. Um, and we get a lovely scene between him and even Marie Saint where she kind of details, like you say, kind of th- this wasn't something that just happened. You know, this has obviously been year- going on for years and she hasn't been happy. And, you know, she she's, you know, she kind of knew he was ill, but he would never do anything about it. And, um, you know, we kind of get more of, of, of like what their relationship was like without David there. Because I think obviously, you know, part of the part of the kind of premise of the film is from the point of view of David, where he saw his, his parents as being, you know, maybe not happy but at least kind of together for so long that you know he didn't think that this would be a possibility not only that um, but he also whereas, as he says he's like he kind of wanted that life where he you know he grew up had a successful life his parents came over at, at the holidays and said we love you david and then he didn't have to deal with them again and that was kind of his mental yeah. you know kind of impression of what he kind of was hoping his adulthood would be like and so yeah getting thrust into the middle of this divorce with his aging parents was uh yeah i mean such a huge shift for him yeah um and and this is this is then obviously we get the kind of the you know the i think presentation to more than just um you know the top people at uh at the right. at the airline yeah. and and this is like the final presentation before they go to new york to present it to the board and uh this is where david i mean i this is probably my favorite scene in the entire film uh, it's just Tom Hanks getting angry um, and Barry Corbin. Yeah. Uh, where Barry Corbin keeps saying to him, oh, we're going to New York, we're going to New York, we're going to New York. And he keeps saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to New York. Like my dad's got an operation in the morning. I'm, I want to be there for him. Uh, I'm I'm not going. And then, of course, Barry, Barry Corbin like kind of, um, you know, touches him on, on the, the shoulder to kind of emphasize something. And, and, he, and he's like, don't touch me yeah, again. Right. Like he gets really kind of, well, he makes it clear that he's definitely not going to. Yeah, because Barry um, Corbin, I love the moment where he's just like, I'm going to count to 10. One, two. And then, then uh, <laughs> yeah. he was just like, 10. You know, he's just like, he's not going to, yeah. he can't handle this guy. I, that, it's a, it's a yeah. powerful moment that we hit right there. I also love that he's he's making a sandwich while he's, there's a bit of business where he's, he's getting, putting mustard on his sandwich and making a sandwich um, <laughs> while Barry Corbin's getting kind of mad at him. Um, but yeah, and then of course, as Barry Corbin leaves, he says to to Cheryl Ann, "Fire him." So she's like, you know, you're fired. Yeah. But I think she understands as well. You know, she understands a little bit. But then, I mean, I've I've I would have wanted a little bit more of where he's like, you know, what if this was happening to, you know, like you've got a you've got a father and a daughter in the room. Why not point out what if this was happening to him? Like, would you expect her to like go off to a meeting? Um, but he never kind of brings that up. He just kind of accepts his fate. Uh, which is fine because his boss is understanding. Well, and I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I guess I, I have always read that because of the way that their relationship is and because she's, you know, she does work for her dad and everything. But they seem so much of the same mind that I think both of them have the mentality where it would be like, you know what? Work comes first. And I, I, I think. Yeah, I guess there is yeah, that. I guess yeah. that's probably why he doesn't bother trying to use it as an example because I think he knows the answer. Yeah, right, um, right, right. right. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, like I said, probably my favorite part of the film is just is the way he does that. Well, and, and then, it's great. You know, it's a great like close to that relationship with Cheryl Ann because also she does that little joke yeah. thing. And he's like, you made a joke. Cheryl Ann made a joke and that whole thing. And, it's, and she's just <laughs> like, it could have been fun. And there's something that's so not angry about their the parting of that relationship that I think really is effective. It's just it's, it's kind of like, you know, we we were having fun. I would have loved to keep it going, but you're fired and it just it all comes across um without that anger that you could see other times in like a scene where someone's getting fired or something especially the way he was just so angry with andrew woolridge right beforehand um i just i love the way that that relationship kind of kind of closes things up 
Yeah. And I I think as well, um, you know, in, in other films, the issue of her being the daughter would be something that would be kept away from the father and they'd have to kind of be coy about it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but in this film, literally, when they go duck hunting, uh, you know, he's like, uh, <laughs> he says, Andrew Warwick says to to David, he, he says, oh, yeah, my daughter says you're a good lad. Yeah. And, it's, it's, <laughs> and he kind of like, you know, he kind of um, like kind of goes, he kind of, you know, shoots the floor or something, doesn't he? Like kind of in shock. Yeah, right. He's like, <laughs> you know, it's it. So I so I I do kind of like that 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 element is not kind of is not the is not the premise is of that is not like hiding the relationship isn't isn't part of that. Don't don't um, you feel though it it kind yeah. of and I don't know if this is where it started but it seemed like there was a trope of of storytelling that when it was like a uh, like a kind of a rich man or or like a businessman or something who had kind of a, a daughter who is also a partner or something that that they would always have that communication. And I feel like this is a gag that's been used before where it's just like, Oh yeah, she tells me you're good and bad. Or I just, I feel like that's been something. I, I, I don't know. It seems very tropey. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll... I think the only, I, I, the only other thing I can think of, which isn't used in the same way, but say anything where you hear her kind of talking to her dad about kind of everything, because again, it's a, it's a father and daughter who have very uh, open communication lines. Uh, having previously mentioned secret, my success, Half of that film revolves around the premise <laughs> that, that Michael J. Fox is having sex with both Helen Slater and his aunt. Right. Um, <laughs> they explain it in a way so she's basically not related to him, but, she, you know, she kind of is. Um, while also his uncle is having sex with both of the same people. And obviously, you know, the fact that he's he, he goes by two different names to each of the different people, that, you know, that's that's the whole premise of that film. So... Um, you know, I appreciate that this film didn't decide to kind of go that this relationship needs to be hidden, like as a as a kind of yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, because because you know it just makes things a lot more kind of cleaner and it, and it makes more sense as well. If you're adults, why would you why would you bother, you know, hiding it? Um, you know, I mean, it is kind of brought up as like an issue at the very start, where he's like, what you know, having sex with a client. Yeah, but I think they're both like so like <laughs> yeah well because you know, i think both, both, especially with her she yeah. very much treats it like you know hey it's a fling you know wh- you know why can't we do this and and i think because of the way that she yeah. initiates it and, and takes it with that tone right from the start that it it becomes totally okay yeah um so he you know he, he's fired from that account but hector elizondo is is fine with it he doesn't he doesn't mind um you know because you know He's, he's extremely reasonable. Um, and uh, he, I think he also talks a little bit about his relationship to his father, doesn't that's, he? To kind of, that, yeah, uh, a lot of it. Kind of, exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. So he kind, of, he kind of understands what it's about. Um, so, of course, you know, he goes to see, you know, his father. And, he, you know, it's funny because, like, when he gets to, you know, his father's going to have this operation, like, and he says that he wants to go and be there before the operation. And he also wants to be there when, he's, when he comes out. Yeah. And he kind of says that to his father and his father's like, yeah, I get it. You'll be here. Like, you know, almost like kind of joking, but I think it, it's kind of done in a way where you kind of know that, you know, that's what he needs is he needs someone to be there for him. Yeah. And even though he's playing it off as like a gag, as you know, like, because he, he does the thing about like the, the nurse and he's like, oh, she gives good sponge, you know, like, even though he's still joking, you can tell that like when, when David is saying to his father, look, you know, I'm going to be here now and I'm going to be here when you come out, you know, that is exactly what he needs. Um, so, you know, that was, that was always nice to see. Uh, and then of course, uh, I think it's before the operation, isn't it? That, uh, Lorraine shows up to kind of yeah. talk to him. Yep. Um, 
and like you say you know again this is the you know this film is so wacky in some places and 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 so heartfelt in other places you know this is the really the the kind of the family kind of splitting up or getting back together or kind of talking to each other that's the stuff that i, I really enjoyed in the film yeah yeah um so it's nice to kind of see it kind of deepen um yeah, it's a, and, and then and that's a powerful know, conversation between those two, and that's like where you really get to see the you know the great performances that you can get out of people like Jackie Gleason and Eva Marie Saint, because I mean it's a really emotional, powerful scene of these two people who had spent so much of their lives together. Now at this point, where things are are, are broken and they're apart, and this is really kind of like the you know, the, the first conversation that the two of them have actually had since the breakup. And this is where a lot of truths come out. And I, I just like, if it wasn't so much for a lot of the comedy in this film, I can't help but think that the performances of these two would have warranted like supporting actor nominations, you know, it's just, I, but I think that so much of the tonal back and forth throughout the rest of the film keeps it from uh, getting recognized for things like that. Yeah, that I mean, that is the thing that I think. Yeah, like if it if if there wasn't so much swinging between different tones, and this was played mostly as um, you know a, a dramatic film, I think there would have been nominations in this. You know, it would have. You know, I, I certainly think Jackie Gleason would have uh, maybe got best supporting actor or something. You know, like it yeah. would have. If it, it feels like that would have been the you know like. But as it is, because because we have all this kind of wacky comedy stuff in between, it just kind of it keeps kind of it makes it kind of confuses the viewer a little bit as to exactly what the film is going for. Yeah, right. Uh, and obviously they they put it on the poster, but I don't think that's an excuse. You can't, <laughs> you can't just put it as a tagline on a poster and expect everybody to kind of figure it out while they're while they're watching the film. And it's not to say that um, dramedy can't work. I think that it has worked plenty oh. of times. And again, uh, you know, yeah. I'm saying this as a big lover of this film. You know, again, hit at a certain point in my life um, but I think that there's something about the type of comedy in this particular dramedy that seems a little goofy at times and I think I think that's where the struggle is you know it's not going to be like that um, Steel Magnolias type of dramedy where it's kind of it's got a cleaner balance of them um, and so uh, in the end they only amputate two toes I think is the is what they say um and I think obviously because he's, you know, he's been hospitalized, I think, you know, obviously they're going to take his health more seriously. Um, and, you know, as as David goes to pick him up and, you know, uh, he kind of wheels him out. Max says, you were the last person I thought would ever come through for me. And, you know, Jackie Gleason's delivery of that line is kind of perfect. Um, and, you know, he kind of, uh, you know, Tom Hanks kind of smiles and, you know, it. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I think that that's what, you know, that's what the film kind of needed to kind of wrap that up. Um, you know, obviously he, you know, he's fired from the, the airline account. He breaks up with Cheryl Ann, you know, he gets, he gets his, his dad kind of, um, you know, in a better place, you know, in terms of his health. Um, and then he goes and sees Donna, um, and you know they've got these they've got these three chairs out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and there's like some ribbons on them and you know this is this is what she's got as part of her grant um for her experimental theater right. uh, which you know they constantly kind of talk about again it, it's kind of it's just kind of a weird wacky commentary on stuff from the 80s um and you know they it, like david is and there's kind of a hint that maybe they might get back together at some point in the future um, you know, or maybe they'll just stay really good friends. Uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, I, I feel like it's it's hinting that he's grown up a little bit, and and they're 
connecting like the way that they kind of hold hands at yeah. that moment and say this feels good i feel like this is the the start of their relationship and it's like now he's settling down and things are going to be serious and they actually are making a connection that's how i yeah. that's how i've always um, read it. <clears throat> yeah and then for the end credits we get ourselves some wacky outtakes um or we just get wacky business don't we um <laughs> where they they keep doing again. They you know, just keep it, doing stuff. well, and it's not like consistently across the film sorts of outtakes or anything. It's just it's no. office shenanigans specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just stuff that they've done to the secretary and other stuff. Yeah. And yeah, there's like a little there's a presentation where he's kind of talking about um, advertising earlier in the film, isn't there? Where they've got this little kind of this little kind of stick figure they keep bringing up and down, and they keep they cut off his head and stuff. There's, again, there's shenanigans in the office. Um, and that's the, that's the note the film ends on. Again, a weird choice to finish the film. Um, but yeah, so... <clears throat> and then they made a sitcom. Uh, like I said, it, like the setup sounds kind of sitcom-y. And obviously somebody felt that was true. Gary Marshall, obviously a veteran of sitcoms. Um, and so literally the following, the following year, I think it was, the following April... Um, they they spun off into a sitcom, um, and this is the most interesting thing about this sitcom. It only lasted seven episodes. Um, obviously, uh, I think Gary Marshall got like a credit on writing some of the episodes as well. Uh, literally ran like April to June in nineteen eighty seven. It's never a good sign when your show runs to June. Um, you know, <laughs> if you're finishing after if you're finishing after the after the May sweeps, your show is not going to come back. Uh, but the most interesting thing about this entire thing is that Todd Waring played the character of David Basner, originated by Tom Hanks, and he was also in Splash 2, playing the character that Tom Hanks played in Splash. So it's just weird that he's twice in his career has played a Tom Hanks character. And I don't think anybody else is ever going to, um, you know, ever going to match that unless they remake... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even sure his brother... The Dan, the Dan Brown films. Yeah, I'm not sure his brother has um, ever, ever kind of hit that point. Uh, you know, I know his... No. Because, uh, I mean, his yeah. brother did the voice for Woody and the toy. Um, uh, well, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, uh, spoil the you know yeah, the yeah. trivia for, for Toy Story later yeah. on. But I'm yes, just trying uh, to think his, if his, there's anyone else. Yeah, I don't think so. Tom Hanks' brother sounds so close to him <laughs> that he, he basically does the video games for any... Um, any 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 kind of like um, for the, shows is it was it was it the nothing in common Mario? video game is that the one you're referencing? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's like literally every single like toy, any kind of like Toy Story um, video game that requires Woody, yeah. you actually get uh, Jim Hanks doing it, not Tom Hanks, right, 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 uh, because he sounds so close to to his his voice, right, right. Uh, although he has been an actor in his own right, so but you know we'll get more into that as we get further down the sure, road. Sure. But let's, in terms of judgments, I think I know what yours is going to be. Well, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, but let's say T Hanks or no T Hanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a big T Hanks for me. I mean, you know, rewatching this film, I, you know, I said at the beginning, oh, actually, I didn't really say too much, but I mean, I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan. This movie. 1986 between this and the money pit really hit at the peak time for me to kind of connect with him. And, and I um, watched these movies so many times. And I think from these movies and splash of course beforehand, but really like this particular moment in this particular year is when I clicked with him. I, I bought every movie of his, I had every movie poster of his hanging in my room. I would get standees from the movie theaters. I, it was just insane. 
Um, and this one, uh, yeah, I, I stared at this poster of him and Jackie Gleason like all the time because it was one of the many posters hanging up in my room. So, and I still really connect with it. So, absolutely, this is a big T Hanks for me. The it's it it's a tonal thing. Um, I think that you got to kind of be able to kind of deal with the type of comedy with the drama. And I think for some people, they're going to have a hard time with that. But, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I've seen it enough where I totally just roll with all the comedy. I find it funny. And then when the drama hits, I mean, I still tear up at the end. I mean, there are some really powerful moments between um, uh, Jackie Gleason and Eva Marie Saint, Jackie Gleason and Tom Hanks. All of that stuff really works for me. So this is a huge T. Hanks. Uh, I mean, I would also say T. Hanks as well. Um, you know, I, again, like I say, the kind of the, the kind of comedy stuff in the office is the is the is the same kind of stuff that was in like, you know, Mannequin and Secret of My Success. Except those films were just that comedy. They weren't anything. They weren't anything else. Uh, there's no drama in there at all. Just comedy. Yeah. So you know, I I, I kind of like all that stuff. Um, but also, I think that like I I mean, I think the drama starts off on kind of a weak foot, but as the film goes on, things improve, and you know, Jackie Gleason kind of. Uh, overcomes the fact that basically he spends the entire film with a cigar in his mouth, um, you know, which is a thing that would normally I would lose points. Um, but I should I would be remiss if I did not mention as well. It's got to be a T Hanks for the uh, the yuppie gym attire that Tom Hanks wears, where he wears this weird. And I I don't know what happened in the eighties, but this seems to be in a lot of films where it's like a t shirt, but it's not a t shirt. It's a sweatshirt it's like ripped around it's a, the neck. It's a sweatshirt. Yeah, and, and so it's the sweatshirt kind of fabric, cut up. right? And they trim off the collar yeah. and the sleeves, and so it, it ends up having those kind of, especially once you've so, washed it a few times, those kind of crinkled up, yeah, um, those raw edges. Which yeah, it was very big Such in the eighties. I yeah wonder so what I'm sure that there's I'm sure from. in one of I'm sure in one of the police academy films, um, Steve <laughs> Guttenberg's wearing a similar. <laughs> A similar thing it's just a weird but i mean it, it kind of early in the film when he goes to see his mom he's wearing it and then later on in the film it comes back and i'm like this guy's meant to be making quite a bit of money he's got a corner office he's got a he's got a you know he's got a window um but yeah it's, <laughs> you know it's, can he not just buy decent i don't know it's just a trend and it's it, just a weird thing i thought i'd mention because it's totally it's an 80s such, trend i think also you're yeah. gonna have to keep an eye on you know when he's at the pool which i think is probably the pool in in his um office like you know at the top floor of his of the penthouse of his office where he is or maybe where he lives i don't know but every time he's there, he's always in his bikini swimsuit. And I think you're going to now have to kind of keep a scorecard of the number of times Tom Hanks <laughs> pops up in, in bikini bottoms of some sort. Because I know there will be at least another one in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And then and, and then at a certain point, we have to keep count of how many times he pees. That's because absolutely true. <laughs> just out of nowhere, Tom Hanks was like, yep, this is what I'm going to do in every film. I will be the peeing um, man. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why he signed on for the Green Mile because he was like, "I get to pee, and it's part of the plot." Right, exactly. Well, <laughs> sign me up. I think he was disappointed after John Coffey cures him because he doesn't get to pee again. Then that's right. You know, that's, that's the right. end of the whole thing. Um, well, before we say goodbye, let's go for some plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Andy? Yeah, again, people can check out um, my podcast, the Next Real uh, Film Podcast. It's been going on for 10 years now. A lot of movies we've talked about on that show. Each show is like this. We just focus on one movie and talk about it in a variety of different series. In fact, we've, we've done a Tom Hanks series, and we've covered a number of Tom Hanks movies over the years. So there are a lot of those. So you can go to thenextreel.com and check those out. And if you're a fan of Movies by Minutes, we also run the Marvel Movie Minute 
and you can check that out at marvelmovieminute.com. When this comes out, we'll be, uh, should be in the middle of season three with Iron Man 2. Uh, well, confusing numbering system there, yeah. I think. Um, right, I know. You know. <laughs> um, and if you want to find us and say anything to us, you can find us on Twitter at the extremely awkward T underscore FT memory. Um, now, this is unusual because I think this is probably one of the only times where, for the next episode, you will also be my guest. Um, mm. So I will join you in saying every time we say goodbye next time. And I'll say goodbye now. Yeah.